Hello, everybody you're listening to and watching Wake Up with Patty Catter. And of course, I'm Patty Catter. Today, I have Steve Stratton on the show with me. Steve, welcome. Welcome, everybody. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you. I would love it if you would please tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, where you came from. Let's start there first. Sure. I'm a Northern California, run around in the redwoods thinking I'm uh you know, somebody from a really nice movie like The Last of the Mohicans running around kind of kid in the woods. And um, yeah, from there, it was actually the military that took me uh, through the middle of the states over to the East Coast and up to D.C. And uh, so my first, uh, you know, from being in the Northwest my whole life to all of a sudden working at the White House as a 19 year old, and just trying to keep my mouth shut so I don't look so <laughs> much like a knucklehead and trying to do my job. It was a, it was an amazing thing. And it was all because I volunteered, um, heard some interesting words and sort of put it together and started volunteering. So, All right. So we have to go back here and rewind just a minute <laughs> because I'm so intrigued. So you're, you're running around in the woods, cowboys, Indians kind of thing. I don't know if that's appropriate or not appropriate these days to mm -hmm. say, I don't even know. I used to play it when I was a kid. <laughs> so, um, so you're running around having a great time. And then all of a sudden you didn't just land in the white house. So tell us what made you decide to join the military? I I'm curious about that. Yeah, that's a, that's a neat little story. I grew up not only running around in the woods and, and harassing each other, you know, but, uh, my aunt and uncle had a, a subscription to National Geographic. And so, you know, without the internet back then, way back then, <laughs> yeah, with black and white TVs, uh, I really got to see the world through National Geographic. So after high school, college was like, yeah, I need to get to that. But I really wanted to go see the world. And um, my whole family was Navy and Merchant Marine. They all thought that was a great way to see the world. And uh, you know, if I'm in something bigger in a canoe, I'm probably green around the gills. So I joined the army and uh, they just, uh, these guys showed up. They took us to the theater, all us buzz cut, you know, recruits. They took us to the theater and these guys showed up with longer hair and suits. I thought this, this is an interesting part of the army. And that's where I started that volunteering. And uh, it, uh, my whole life got changed up from going farther up north, like towards Seattle with the army to, uh, being at the white house and doing communications. That's so neat. Um, uh, you brought back some really great memories too. I was thinking, wow, a real magazine. I haven't even <laughs> had my hands on one in too long. Um, so when you were growing up and you decided to join the army, um, and then you move, I'm assuming that was a pretty big move for you because it sounds like you just stayed in one location growing up a lot, right? You didn't move around a lot. No, we, uh, yeah, I, the, uh, the town of Eureka up in Humboldt County, which was known for some, um, well, it was known for marijuana back in those days <laughs> and, uh, the Bay area. So lived between there and the Bay area, but had relatives all the way down into LA, San Diego, and all the way up into Seattle, Olympia. So that was sort of my realm was just running up and down the coast, seeing relatives and, or, you know, uh, hunting and running around the woods and things. So it was, uh, my first station was Oklahoma, which was barren, flat and full of, uh, rattlesnakes. And, uh, the next one was Georgia and it got better. Um, it was Augusta, Georgia and the Almond brothers had a bar downtown. So 
you know, I quickly got myself a little beater car so we could go downtown and see the Allman Brothers. Um, and then after that, it was Washington, D.C. and the the flood of people and the politics and um, uh, nice scenery. Oh, my gosh. D.C. It's one of those places, you know, for me, I I love it. I go there a couple of weeks a month and thrive mm-hmm. there, but then I can pop back down to Florida and thrive here. <laughs> but DC is never bo- boring at all. Um, <laughs> what would you say some of your more interesting um, adventures were? Well, one of the fun stories I like to tell is that uh, when, uh, so I got there right before Nixon, like a week before he resigned and walked out, you know, took the helicopter flight out. And uh, two funny stories. One, my sponsor, as I was driving in town, said, uh, you know what that is? And I said, is that the Watergate? And he's like, yeah, don't go there. Because <laughs> <laughs> Watergate, it literally just happened, right? And then um, well, I went to Vail, Colorado, out near where I live now, uh, uh, with President Ford. And uh, the, the colonel came by one day and said, yeah, you need to go take a skiing lesson because tomorrow you're skiing behind the president with a radio, like the backup to the backup. And I'm like, that's dangerous. He's like, yeah, but just go take a lesson and don't run over the president. So I worked really hard to do that. And I came close one time. He, uh, president Ford sort of slid out. He didn't fall down already. He just sort of slid out. All the agents are, are you okay? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, just <laughs> scooting off into the trees because I can't control what I'm really doing. So, uh, you know, I got a little bit of a nickname, you know, um, Stratton Spear, Spearman is going to, you know, try and spear the president with the ski. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was maybe my last guest that aired. He was talking about how he was on Air Force One with President Bush. I think it was George W. Bush, though, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. But oh my gosh, I love these stories when you're talking about presidents, because, you know, a lot of people, they'll hear stories of somebody else's experiences like my listeners are doing now, but you actually were experiencing these things firsthand. Did you have any idea on the significance of that? Not everybody gets to be that close to a president. Uh, Early on, it was just shock and awe on my part, you know, just trying to maintain. And then as I got more comfortable um, I flew, um, I actually flew one of the last flights on the, on the Air Force One, the original Air Force One jet that, that brought President Kennedy's body back from Dallas. And I spent a lot of time, not a lot of time, time on Air Force One. And then there's always an Air Force Two, a backup plane that flies around. So um, I did some of that, but most of my time was in advance of the president showing up. So we would go out two to three weeks in advance, work with the Secret Service, you know, um, and in my case, early on, it was about communications. Later, when I joined the Secret Service, it was all about protection of the president. And my job was to make sure the site was clear. Uh, I wasn't, I was a technical specialist. So I made sure that site he was going to talk at or stay at whatever was um, free from anything that might harm the president. So which secret service is so important. Um, people don't understand either the dynamics of secret service. Can you kind of tell some of my listeners, I know a lot of the military, you're already going to know what this is, but the civilian listeners, um, tell them what secret secret service usually does really, because in the movies, it's, it's just not like the movies. (laughs) No, no, it's not. Um, well, 
certainly when I started, the number one thing Secret Service was focused on was currency, like fake money, right? Fake dollar bills, $100 bills, 20s, things like that. So fake money. So did a little bit of that work. And now the Secret Service, of course, is all involved in cybercrime, credit cards, all that, right? Uh, before joining DHS, it was a Department of the Treasury. Yeah, you know, it was a Department of the Treasury um, agency. So um, there is a whole lot of Secret Service work that goes on that is not protection related, but is uh, related to cybercrime now, you know, credit card fraud, uh, different kinds of things like that. And they work cross cross agency. You know, they're often working in 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 details with the FBI or Treasury agents because it's like Medicare fraud, things like that. Uh, postal agents, all kinds of folks. Uh, the protective details they get the you know the highlight. You know, you're out there with your Ray Ban sunglasses on in the rain. You know, looking cool and protecting the president. Uh, but that work is a grind. If you're on one of those presidential details and the president like likes coming up, I experienced um, two different uh, election campaign cycles, and those I was gone over 300 days the last one, and the government couldn't pay me any more money. They could pay my salary, but they couldn't pay me any overtime because <laughs> they ran out of the money. So um, it can be a real grind, and they actually bring in lots of other agents from Treasury, uh, of course. When you go to a town like Atlanta or Tampa or Miami, you're using the PD, the sheriff's department. I would bring in military bomb dogs, work with the police bomb dogs and explosive teams and do my thing. Um, so it's a it, it's a lot that goes on. That's usually why it's sometimes a month, but usually three weeks, about three weeks, we would go in advance of the president showing up somewhere, possibly for just 15 minutes. So pretty exciting, but hard, hard work at, at the end of the day. And speaking of elections, I almost hate to bring it up on my show. It's not a political show, um, but I do like to know a little bit what I mean, going up into elections right now, Secret Service is probably really, really, really slammed, I'm assuming. And besides that, the climate of the world right now Um what is your opinion on maybe how secret, I don't even know if you have one on secret service today versus what it was like 10 years ago. Yeah. It's uh, really interesting that um, 10 or even back in my time, 10 years ago, um, the tools that we have to create the bubble of protection are much more advanced. We now, you right now, now there are, I'm sure there are people going on the advanced team that are cyber specialists. They're looking we used to go knock on doors. Uh, police chiefs would have little Rolodexes of sort of the crazy people. Mm -hmm. And we kept one too per city, you know, or people that had made some comment about the president. You go check in on them, how they yeah. doing, are they stable, things like that. And so now you've got to also do that and and look at the the cyber, you know, the the internet and other things, social media. So, and some of that can go on remote. They don't have to be on site, but you've got that cyber bubble You've got the protection. So there's a whole lot more people now, um, you know, making sure the Secret Service is very good at learning a lesson. So all the things that happened in Dallas were taken away immediately. You don't see presidents in open air cars anymore. We There are as many counter snipers as there might be bad people out there. Um, you know, if there's a route, all the buildings around the route uh, are 
checked. Uh, all the underground in the middle of the road is checked. Um, I've I've sat there and watched people, you know, weld down manhole covers, like when the Pope came in just into D.C. Right, and did miles of that, things like that. So it is a there's a much bigger and more um, not complex but comprehensive bubble around the president, um, all the way from where they land the Air Force One, and whether it's helicopter or motorcade, those routes. Uh, as you can imagine, it can be very involved if it's like the president's going to two or three campaign stops in a city or or someplace as big as Dallas, Fort Worth and all that, you know, space they've got. So, oh, my gosh. You know, it just kind of hit me that while our technology is amazing at helping prevent a lot of things that we may not have had 10 years ago access to. At the same time, on the flip side of things, technology has probably made it a lot more complicated as well because the bad guys can connect easier on the internet. But the great thing is we can counteract that, right? Yeah, yeah. It, um, it, but it takes some it takes some expertise because it's not. There are people who are just sort of um, maybe not all all in one piece that that will make statements out on the open internet, and then there are cyber criminals that use the the intercommunications of games and different things, very covert kind of communication. So. Yeah. Oh, true. Wow. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, there's job security right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, if you can manage the grind, there's, there's, it's a good job. Can you tell us about a trial that you've had in your life and how did you overcome that trial with triumph? Yeah. So, um, a year ago, January 9th, my son, who was 50, passed away at work. And um, out of the blue, Danny was bigger, brighter, you know, everybody's friend, you know, a how you doing kind of guy would welcome people. He would have parties. People would show up that he didn't know. He'd welcome him in, you know, feed him some food. He was just a great guy. And um, he just wasn't there all of a sudden. And, um, after getting over the shock of that, I, I think I had an unfortunate leg up, um, in the process, um, compared to some of the rest of, you know, my family members, because being in the military and having lost friends in the military, I'd experienced death. And of course, my wife and I, we've had uncles and other things like that, but it's nothing like having a child pass, right? And we really um, started right off uh, rounding everybody up, eating, talking, and we still talk about Danny in the first person. We still tell jokes. Uh, we believe as a family that Danny will only be gone if we stop talking about him. So uh, we keep him in our hearts and our memories. And um, it's amazing. Even our seven-year-old grandson has really handled it well. I keep looking for something to break out for him to experience. But he really, uh, I think, has, he, he like wears a, a little locket and the locket hit him in the head and he was telling um, our daughter-in-law that daddy smacked him in the head, you know? <laughs> and so 
it's just beautiful things like that, that, um, you know, we're, <laughs> we're functionally dysfunctional family, you know, we're, but that bring coming together um, really helped in a lot of different ways. And um, specifically that idea of keeping Danny close and talking about him in the first person has really brought it, brought um, this all together even more. And, um, you know, now we celebrate and um, just um, actually this morning, my wife said that she feels uh, love and warmth back in her heart again. It's not emptiness. So I'm very lucky like that. It is really hard to lose a loved one. And I talk about this pretty often on the show. Um, I love the idea of talking about the person that we've lost and first, like first person, like they're right here or like, you know what I mean? Um, it's so important. And that's a, that's a really great thing that you just brought to the table because I've had a bad habit of either talking about my parents, like remember when this or that, but not actually like they're still here, but they, they really are in a way. So. Absolutely. You have them. Those, those memory. Yeah. I like that a lot. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, um, so Steve, is there anything in particular that you would like my audience to know that we haven't talked about yet? Put you um, on the spot. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I'm a, I really started in my 40s, up to through my 40s. I was climbing the ladder, doing all that stuff, trying to, you know, be a good person, climb the ladder. And and really, um, in the last, I'll say 20 years, I'm about to turn 70, really focused on living a life with intentionality and then letting go, right? Um, one of the, uh, the other day I was working on a book, I'm a, a thriller writer, and uh, I was doing some editing and I sort of stepped back and realized other than getting up and stretching and other things, I'd gone like a, when I got back on like X or social media, but everybody's that that I'd seen before, it was like 11 hours ago. And I'm like, wow, I, I pushed those distractions away, let them go for a while. And I was able to be creative, enjoy myself. And it went so fast, I didn't even realize it. And so in today's world, you know, you can get chirped, beeped, and bopped from your phone so much, yes. right? There's so much distraction. There's so much bad news of different types and different formats. And so letting all that go and gives you space. It's like letting go of resentment, right? They say, you know, let go of the resentment so you're not the one drinking the poison, right? And so letting go of not only resentments, but also these distractions you know, things that might be funny and, and entertaining, but getting those out of your way opens has opened me up to be more creative, have more energy, um, you know, and uh, it, it's just really worked for me lately. And so um, I'm able to, uh, I'm not like I was in the military where everything's a task and I've got to get it done, but I'll set up a list in my mind. Sometimes I jot things down now that I'm getting older. Maybe there's a supplement for that, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I, and then I can go about my day and I don't get, I don't get angry if I get off track. I just come back, you know, I don't 
hit myself in the head or why'd you do that or berate myself. I just come back and get back on the beam, so to speak. And so uh, living with intentionality and letting go, two things have really worked for me. Oh my gosh. I love it. So there's something that's been driving me crazy since the beginning of the show. And you just mentioned that you're almost 70 years old. And I just have to say, you do not look like it. And when you started talking about president Nixon, I'm like, oh my gosh, how old is this guy? He doesn't look that old. He doesn't look old enough. So that's pretty incredible. Um, I just had to throw that out there because I am positive. Some of my other listeners and, and viewers are going to say, there's no way, like, we're going to have to see this guy's uh, proof, his DD 214 or his driver's <laughs> license or something. Well, um, thank, thank you very much. I tell everybody I've got a great paint job. Some of the parts need replacement. <laughs> oh my gosh. You look amazing. Um, so the other thing I really love is, um, that you shared about living with intention. That is so important. Um, so, so important. And I'm, I'm learning that myself as I, as I take every single day, um, just to try to learn and grow. Um, the other thing you mentioned was your thriller books. Tell us a little bit more about that. How did you decide to start writing thrillers? Yeah, it, um, back in 1993, there was an incident. Um, and actually my parents were coming back from Baja, Mexico, and um, there was an accident. My mom died in Mexico. Oh my gosh. And it was drug runners. And um, at the same time, I'm in Colombia chasing, training, training Colombian military, do their thing against the drug cartels and other things like that. And I had um, sort of written pieces. I had done PowerPoints, you know, being in being, being a work guy, I'd done PowerPoints, I'd done Gantt charts, I'd done all this thing about like sort of outlining the story. I'm a very visual person, so I even use storyboards like I was doing a movie kind of script. And, uh, but I'd never, I never wrote. I wrote technical documents, I wrote proposals, I never wrote. So my wife in 2019 said, why don't you just start writing? See if you like it. And as it turns out, um, write less than an hour from where I live is Jerry Jenkins, who was a 23 times bestseller guy who also wrote the Left Behind series with Pastor LaHaye and all those Christian books. And I got a mentorship with him. And I was so happy when he only like edited out 20% of my words. <laughs> but that's what got me excited. And then I just picked up the challenge like another sport, like, a, you know, I might pick anything else up. But it just actually became fun. And um yeah, I was I was doing some editing on a whole different series uh, before we came online. So yeah, it's uh, it's so much fun writing and telling stories, whether they get published or not. It's you know it's sort of irrelevant. I I really enjoy it. It's awesome. Where can people find your books? Uh, on Amazon, you can look for Steve Stratton. Uh, first book's called Shadow Tear. Second one's Shadow Sanction. I'm working on a third book. So my uh, protagonist is Crow, Native Crow Indian because I wanted a fresh take and a different take on uh, the situation. And um, so, yeah, it's it's just so much fun. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I'm going to go check them out. Actually, as soon as I'm done, I'm going to go um, buy them for my Kindle. Or... <laughs> so awesome. Hey. Very cool. Steve, do you have a website? Yes, it's Stephen Stratton, S-T-R-A-T-T-O-N, USA.com. And I'm a Stephen with a V. 
Oh my gosh. Make me a pH guy, but I'm a B. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll be sure to link that for these, for you all listening here. Uh, Make sure that you go to the link and head over to Steven's website. Steven, um, would you like to add anything else to the show today? Just my heartfelt thanks for having me on. I appreciate the questions you ask and what we got to talk about. um, Really uh, gives me a good feeling today. Thank you. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I really appreciate you opening your heart and, um, sharing, especially, you know, the loss of a loved one is always very difficult to talk about. And I can't imagine as a a child, but for you to share the fact that you can still talk about him as if he's alive, I think that's going to really help a lot of my listeners. I have a lot of military listeners, Um, who've lost a lot of friends and loved ones, unfortunately. But one of the things that we try to work through on a lot of my shows is, you know, how do you get past it? Actually, a guy I interviewed right before you um, was talking about some PTSD. And so what you offered today was actually a really great follow-up on the show that I had just before you, because often, you know, we do think about like the, the harder aspects of losing somebody. I know when I lost my parents, I lost both of them in 2015. Mm. I just kind of made it. So I felt like they weren't there anymore. And I don't know why. And it wasn't until today I had this aha moment because of you just to think like there's, they're still here. So thank you. I can't tell you how much that means to me. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks. Thank you. And, um, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Um, be sure to go to Steve's website. I will have the links there and, um, everybody just enjoy your day. And uh, until next time, uh, head over to the archives and take a listen. If you miss some of the shows, it's time to catch up. And Steven, I want to keep in contact with you and have you on again. And you can tell us about your books a little bit more in the near future, hopefully. Uh, that'd be awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks everybody.